So tonight, what I like to look at is actually uh, what we do when we do the three bows. So Stephen presented more like a Tibetan understanding of offering these three things. But from a Korean son point of view, these uh, three things that we offer, that we place on the altar, actually we do this because they are representation, they are evocation of awakening. So each of them, the incense, the water, the candle, each in a way show a different aspect of awakening, of what we're trying to cultivate as we practice meditation, as we cultivate the path. So let me start by the first one, the incense. And so what is interesting about the incense is that it spread its fragrance, and at the same time as it does this, it disappears. It disappears, and at the same time, the incense spread, the perfume spread everywhere to the same degree. The incense doesn't say, oh, I don't like them over there. I'll just go there. It doesn't do that. It just spread equally. And so in a way, it represents two aspects of awakening. One is selflessness, giving something while disappearing, doing that. And the other aspect is the spreading equally. And so the first one, selflessness, often we talk about not-self, selflessness, emptiness. But what does it mean? Because often when we hear the term selflessness, we have the impression that it means we need to disappear. So it means that at the end of the retreat, there will just be a puff of smoke on the cushion. Or it means that you must not exist. But actually, selflessness is not about that. It's not about disappearing. But selflessness is looking, in a way, how Self, how much selfing do I do? That's the first thing. How do I self? How self-centered am I? Because there's this strange phenomenon that for some strange reason, we might feel we are the center of the universe. But Possibly it's more that each of us is a center of our universe, not of the whole. Not everything comes back to me. And that's interesting that sometimes you say, ah, it's my fault. But is it really your fault? I mean, did you make a mistake? And so it's interesting sometimes we think, oh, it's because of me that this great thing happened. Or it's because of me that this bad thing happened. 
And sometimes it is so, sometimes it is not so. So the selflessness is looking. The first thing, how do we self? And possibly in the last two days, you might have a bit of experience about selfing. And part of selfing seems to be thoughts. And I presume for the last two days, you might have, you might have been noticing that you've been thinking. Possibly not all of you. Recently, I was on a retreat. And I kept talking about thought. And then somebody said, came to me and said, you know, when I meditate, I have no thought. Is it a problem? I said, no, 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 this is fine. <laughs> but this is not what happens to most people on a retreat. So we sit in meditation. And one of the things that, in a way, will take us away from the anchor are thought. And then it's not that the thought are bad per se. It's not about that. But what are they about? To me, this is what is so fascinating. Because when I was uh, practicing in Korea, so I came to Korea, I became a nun, and I did this uh, practice of what is this. And that's what I mean by becoming aware, cultivating awareness indirectly. So I was not. In Korea, they don't talk about mindfulness, awareness in this way. Questioning, questioning, sensation, doubt. That's a late motif. But as I was asking, what is this? Suddenly, I became so aware of my thought. But what I became aware of is that all my thought were about me. Look at me. I exist. Also, my self-interest and different things of that nature. So I would say at that time, there was 95% self-interest. And then I realized, oh, that's what the meditation is about. To me, that's what selflessness is about. Not about disappearing, but possibly a bit of the selfing, the self-centeredness disappearing. And to me, I have the feeling that, in a way, there is two different types of thought. And we can notice that in meditation. One is really about selfie. It's about me in many different ways. Good me, bad me, look at me, whatever it is. And another part of thought is creative functioning. So it's very important to see that when we sit in meditation, we walk in meditation, we are not trying to stop thinking. But we're trying to bring some space within it. So actually, over time, the selfing goes. And you're left with the creative functioning. Because, I mean, you exist. You don't have to think about existing. I mean, you exist. I think. Meditation is really about I exist, and really knowing that as fully as you can within the environment, so you don't have to spend so much time thinking about existing or kind of you know insisting on your existence or non-existence or thing of that nature. And recently, they did a, 
a little, nowadays they do lots of uh, research with meditation. And one of the things that interests them at the moment is the resting state of the brain of people. And what they realize is that the resting state is not restful. And so then kind of recently I was doing one of these research things in the fMRI and we had this strange thing where she was telling me to just let my mind be, but don't meditate. <laughs> don't think anything specific. Just be. So it was very tough trying not, you know, trying to kind of be in what they call this resting state of the brain without meditating or without, it was kind of a little kind of weird because it's kind of like was trying to create something. Because what they found, that in one way, people who have meditated for a long time can more easily do a real resting state of the brain. <laughs> but then it's very hard for them to do a non-restful resting state of the brain. So there is a little problem there, how they can manage that. So in a way, selflessness. Selflessness is in a way all this, I would say, all the not necessary selfing. Of course, there need to be a little bit of selfing, because if I don't think about myself, who is going to think about me? So I, you have to have a little bit. Of course, you have to have a little bit. But how much do you need? That is a question. How much selfing do I need? Instead of, can I operate? Can I creatively engage with the conditions, inner condition meeting outer condition? So I think this selflessness is not about disappearing, but is in a way operating, functioning in a more creative way. And I think one of the things that happen if you have less self-centeredness, self let's go, you go down to 50%. <coughs> then you have 50% for others. And to me, this is an important part of practice selflessness. It's not so much about forgetting oneself, but it's through slightly reducing the self-centeredness and you can be really other-centered as much as thinking of yourself so that you can see the other. Because if you're less thinking of yourself, you'll have more space to encounter the other, and on top of it, to encounter the other for themselves, and not what you want from them or what you hope from them. And then you can really have an authentic encounter, a meeting where something more can happen, to me, this is what the beauty, in a way, of selflessness is that it helps you to meet your environment, the people, the animals, the trees, in a way which is much more open, which is much more creative. Then one of the aspects of uh, awakening of that image of the incense, it, it is that it's spread everywhere to the same degree. And so to me, this is, I feel, again, part of the selflessness that 
we have a tendency, I mean, of course, it's natural to like the people we like because generally they like us or because they're fun or because we appreciate them or because they're not difficult or whatever it might be. And then the people who are mm, a little difficult and mm, unpleasant, often what I think is people who are difficult, might create unpleasant feeling. I mean, they have to live with themselves all the time. <laughs> you generally, you know, just talk to them on the phone or you meet them for a few hours or things of that nature. They are suffering like we are suffering. Can we open our heart to them as well, regardless? Because in a way, it's easy to be nice to kind of, you know, Nice little bunnies. We have all these beautiful, I presume you have seen rabbits. Me, I have not gone out of the house yet, but I'll go one day, and very likely I'll see the rabbits. They're so cute. But I'm sure if you had a kind of a garden with lots of carrots and they ate all your carrots, you might look at the little bunny in a different way. <laughs> or possibly at the end of the retreat, if you're so hungry, you might also look at them in a different way, but we won't go there. So in a way, it's kind of through that practice, can our heart, can our love, can our compassion extend a little bit its limit in a creative, wise way? And the creative wise way is not saying I must love everybody to the same degree all the time. I may be, I must be selfless to the same degree all the time. Not at all. It's just to see according to conditions. I might have to take care more of myself. At other time, I might have to take care more of others. Sometimes it might be more in the middle. And so I see to see that within that selflessness, there is that wisdom, there is that creativity. Then the next one is a candle. So we lit a candle. And with the candle, two things happen. I mean, the first thing, but it's very similar to the incense, is that the candle disappears and it's lit, but I mean, it takes much more time than with the incense, so we'll not go there. But what is interesting with the candle is that if you don't lit it, it's opaque. It's opaque by itself, it's opaque for others. But if you lit the candle, then the candle is illuminated and illuminating. And to me, that's part of the practice, that it will be able, it will enable us to illuminate ourselves, but also to be illuminating for others. And so in a way, part of the illuminated is to see that the practice, and I think that's why the, the experiential inquiry, the questioning is so important. Because this is what's going to help us to develop that, to develop brightness, to develop clarity. 
So part of the practice is not just about being calm, but it's also about being clear, being bright, and in a way see clearly what's going on. And that's what is interesting with the questioning, is that you can see the questioning as a technique. I sit there, I walk, and I ask, what is this? Or you can see this question as a way of being, a way of questioning in a stable and open manner, which then will help us to less quickly go into defining, limiting, fixing. Because we have, a, of course, for evolution purpose, we have to generalize very fast. This is an evolutionary quality. I have to see very quickly, are these people dangerous or not? Is this place safe or not? Is this food safe or not? And so then I need to make, first to see that, and then I need to make category. Safe place, unsafe place, dangerous people, not dangerous people, healthy food, not healthy food, thing of that nature. So we have a quick way to make category and to generalize. But that is a function we then become very automatic and quite fixing. And so in a way, part of the practice of questioning is that it will, in a way, measure, it will balance it will counteract a little bit that tendency to generalize very fast, to make category very fast. As I said at the beginning, you are in silence, you are 50 people, and very quickly you categorize people and decide, hmm, good one, hmm, not so sure about that one. And, I mean, it seems that's what we do. And so here, with the questioning, in a way the questioning is going to start to slightly dissolve that quick perception, generalization, categorization. And then we can start to ask questions. Is this true? Is it always true? Another one I found very useful, how long is this going to last? I mean, very likely, after a day or two, according to how you feel, how things are going, this morning, I was sitting there in meditation, and it was interesting, because this morning, time seems to go slow. So I was sitting there, and I thought, hmm? And I couldn't see the clock, so I thought, hmm? That kind of my body and mind was saying, this is it, this is the Tukpi should come. And it was not coming. <laughs> so it seems to be very long. And then from that, I could have the impression, this retreat is going to be a long while. <laughs> but I did not think that. I just thought, hmm, well, that's interesting. That's a weird feel. And then this afternoon, 2.30, I sit and it's, just like, as my teacher said, when it goes well, 
you have the impression it's just like a board on ice. You push a board on ice and it goes very easily. When it's difficult, you have the impression you're trying to drag a cow to drink and it doesn't want to move. So this afternoon, it was a boat. I was sitting, mm, and it really was kind of very nice, very flowy. And the time, then you have the impression it's much shorter, but you have the same time. And so in a way, you might have the same impression. Oh, it's fantastic. This is a great retreat. Every day is going to be like this. Or you might have some pain, you might have some thought, and you start to think, ay, 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 if I'm going to have the same amount of pain every day, this is going to be really tough. Or if I am going to have the same amount of thought every day, this is really tough. But generally, it changes. But you see, if you start to think that, you kind of, you know, we amplify so easily. And that's why the questioning can be useful to counteract that amplification effect, fixing effect. And how long is it going to last? What is it that is going to help it to change? And that's why, in a way, the, to, to notice the difference with the conditions, notice through the days, notice with the different level of energy. So in a way, part of this illuminated principle is it's not that we're trying to reach a certain state. I know when we sit in meditation, especially when we sit in meditation, we have a tendency to wait for something special to happen. But it happens, but not that often. But it doesn't mean you're not practicing. You are practicing, you are cultivating. But the effect is relatively subtle. And one way to look at the effect is to see at the end of the sitting or at the end of the walking, to just notice, ah, there is a little difference. And it's very interesting, with the sitting, generally you have a little, ah, a little kind of relaxing, releasing. And with this kind of walking, personally what I love about this walking, I don't know how, if it works for you like that, but me, I walk and then I sit and I'm zing, and I'm really kind of ooh, really bright. That's why I enjoy this type of walking. So we have a slightly different effect from the sitting, from the walking, from the walking outside, from the being questioning as we work and think. So in ways to see, I think what is important, what we're doing here, of course we're asking the question, we're trying to anchor, we're trying to kind of question. And through that process, we start to see things more clearly. And this is really important. And so we start to see different things more clearly. It's not like kind of like a mega insight I'm really talking about, but just to see how is my body? How is my heart? What is going on in my mind? How is it to just sit here? And so in a way, becoming more and more, in a way, 
close to what we experience it. Instead of often what we are is in the commenting, the explaining of the experience. And he is really trying to be, because we have all this opportunity within this framework of just sitting here and through asking the question or coming back to the breath or whatever you use as an anchor to come back to this whole moment and to experience ourselves as multi-perspectival. Instead of often, we kind of become, oh, a thought, a feeling, a sensation, a sound, or whatever it might be. And this, yes, this different thing exists, but we cannot reduce ourselves to any one of this. And to me, this illuminated is very much about very clearly more and more seeing that multi-perspective, experiencing that we are a flow of inner conditions meeting outer conditions, and seeing this again and again, clearer and clearer. There is illuminating, and I think this is an, a very important aspect of the practice that, yes, of course, is to help ourselves to become more stable, more open, more quiet, more clear, more wise, more compassionate. And at the same time, to me, I think it kind of like removes, dissolves certain obstacles to encountering the other, encountering the environment. And if we're clearer, and if we're less self-centered, that we can meet the other in a much more creative way, so that we can mutually benefit each other. And it's very interesting. I know you are in silence here, so you won't have that opportunity, but at the end, on Sunday, you will, on Saturday, you will. We finish on Saturday. Saturday morning, the silence will be broken. And then you can try it out. But to me, it's interesting. When you have a discussion with somebody, you start with a little discussion. Does it become an argument? Or does it become a dialogue? An argument, it becomes an argument when you become, you grasp at your idea, and if the person questions your idea, it means they're questioning you. And then if they're questioning you, this is very painful. Well, actually, they're just questioning your idea. They're not questioning your identity. <coughs> but what happens if there is a discussion which becomes a dialogue? The two person, this is what is beautiful about encountering another, is that they have a different perception, different perspective, different idea. And so if you meet that in an open manner, in an illuminated, illuminating manner, then you can benefit from each other. And then from these two perception, understanding, you can have often a higher understanding because the two 
can bring something to the occasion. Because when we have a discussion, what is it about? I am going to tell it like it is. I must convince this person. So it's interesting. First time they don't get it, so second time you say it more loud. <laughs> but I'm not sure it will have more effect. But if you really share and you really come together, then it can be illuminating for both. The each bringing something which can become something bigger. And to me, this is wonderful. When I have discussion like that, it feels so enlivening, so illuminating for myself and for the other person. And we can surprise ourselves to, oh, I never thought of this that way. Then the last one is the water. And the water has two aspects. One aspect is that it's flowing. And one aspect is that it's flowing. That's what is interesting in Zen. They say it flows, but it does not flow up. Generally, it flows down. Because often when we think about awakening, we think we're going to go on top of the mountain. And then I'll be on top of the mountain and I'll say, hey, look at me. I am awakened. Become my disciple. <laughs> you know, it, I don't live in totness anymore, but before it was fun. You know, every two years or every year, you used to have a new guru or lady guru on the high street. And then, you know, everybody used to, you know, you would be at the pinnacle of she and then everybody would look up. But what I like about this idea that the water flows, but it flows down. And to me, this is in a way like we think of awakening and we think, you know, floating Christmas tree, you know? Like, so we sit here and suddenly we all be lit like a Christmas tree and then we're slightly floating above the cushion. But personally, I think what it brings up is actually becoming ordinary, becoming fully human with what is good quality, what is difficult quality, and creatively engaging with that, not wanting to be special. I remember when I was uh, young, I always wanted to be special. And uh, then when I became a nun in Korea, I was the top of my speciality. <laughs> top, 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 top. I was one among 120 million people. That's a lot. That's really special. Uh, because there were 60 million Koreans, 60 million French people, and I was just one Buddhist Korean nun French. <laughs> so I was very special, top of my speciality. And then I stopped being a nun, and I stopped being in Korea, and then I really became not special whatsoever. And at the beginning, it was weird, because I would go, you know, walk about in the village, and I would feel weird. And I thought, but why am I feeling weird? And then I realized, because nobody looked at me specially, because I don't look foreign, and I don't wear funny clothes, and I just look like everybody else. And then I started to enjoy 
not being special, and really enjoy being ordinary. And I think that's what this is about, to really, in a way, appreciate, creatively engage, again, with this flow of condition, right here, right now, meeting this environment. And that's what the water flowing down is about. And then the other aspect of the water, it's, ad it's adaptable, it's flexible. Whatever receptor you put it in, it will adapt that shape. Round, square, rectangle, flat. It will just adapt to whatever shape. And to me, this is, in a way, the beauty of the practice is that it helps us to become more flexible. And I would say, especially this type of meditation with the questioning, because I think different methods are used for different things. So, for example, the breath, as long as you're not asthmatic, I think can be very useful for calming, calming the body. Being aware of the body, I think, can be very grounding. Listening to sound can be opening. Cultivating loving kindness can put us in the direction of love, of kindliness. And I think with the questioning, I think it really is, I think it's a great method. I'm not saying it's the best method, it's only method. But it's really a good method in terms of flexibility. Because we have such a tendency to define. We have such a tendency to want to fix. This is it. This is like that. It's like this. So we have a tendency to be very definite. And we want to be definite. And we want other people to be definite. And the questioning is actually helping us to be more flexible, to counteract, to bring that definition back to its creative function, and not this overarching automaticism, automatic way, so that Personally, I feel the questioning helps us to be more creative and to give ourselves more choices. And to see that, again, I mentioned it before, that part of the practice is about what I would call making a creative choice. We have to be careful because sometimes we make negative choice. I hate you. I'll choose this. Or I hate that. I'll choose that. So we kind of make negative choice, but I'm not talking about this here. Here I'm talking a creative, illuminated, illuminating choice. And I think that's what we do all the time. When we come back to the anchor, when we come back to sitting here, when we come back to the walking, when we come back to working, when we come back to eating, we come back to this multiplicity, multi-perspective, which in a way asks us to be flexible, flexible for ourselves, flexible for others. 
And so in a way, I see us as we sit in meditation and we come back again and again. Is in a way making that, sometimes it happened by itself, sometimes we remind ourselves, sometimes we come back to ourselves. I think there are many different ways to make that choice, to come back to the anchor. But every time we do that, and especially with the questioning, we're bringing this flexibility, this adaptability, which then will help us to be more creative. Instead of thinking there is just this or just that, I feel we start to say, oh yeah, I could do it this way, or possibly I could do it that way, or possibly I'll wait and see. You know, that's one of my mantra, which I find useful in daily life, is let's see what happens. Often we start something, and we barely started it, that we already decided it must be like this, it has to be like that, or else. And to me, I say, oh, let's try it. Let's see what happens. And so in a way, I want to go in that direction, of course. But I'm not defining already. It's going to be good, it's going to be bad, it's going to be like this, it's going to be like that. I say, let's see what happens. Because I don't know how the person will be, what will happen. I mean, recently, I, uh, it was very interesting because I, uh, uh, I went traveling to Mexico, LA, and uh, North Carolina. And each place was a bit, let's see what happened. You know, let's see what happened. In Mexico, you are in, this, in the plane, and you're going down to land, and they said, be careful. You might get Zika, dengue fever, and I don't know what else, but you know. I thought it was nice to go to Mexico. <laughs> Let's see what happened. And actually, it was so cold, there was no mosquitoes. But, you know, and, and then I go to North Carolina, where uh, I go to a place which is barely finished. And I kind of, at the end of the retreat, I did there, I said, oh, the, but at least the meditation room was really nice. And they said, you should have seen it the day before you arrived. Seemingly a week before I arrived, one wall did not exist, and the roof was caved in. And in a week, they just transformed it. And to me, I was very inspired by these people really going for it, so that we could do this retreat. So in a way, this, the water is this kind of like cultivating over time this flexibilities, these creative choices when we encounter life, which often surprises us. So that's what I wanted to talk about.